Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right. Another week and the Eagles are back in the win column at three and three as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy. And as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 150. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with NFL film senior producer Greg Cosell to talk about what we saw from the film in last week's decisive Eagles victory over the New York Giants. There were a lot of cool takeaways on both sides of the ball and Greg and I have yet to really talk about our feelings from the game. So I'm excited to hash things out with Greg. Next up, we'll transition to my scouting report where I'll go through my notes on second-year running back Christian McCaffrey coming out of Stanford. He was a bit divisive uh, in terms of the media and his value and how high of a player people like him are worth. So we'll go through what I thought of him coming out of Stanford and how he looks on film now with those Carolina Panthers. But before we get into all that, let's not waste any more time. I caught up with Greg Cosell this week to discuss the Eagles and their win over the Giants to preview next week's game over the Panthers. Let's get to that chat right now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Pleased to be joined once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, none other than NFL Film senior producer Greg Cosell. Greg, uh, welcome back to the Novacare Complex. It's been a few days since My home I've seen away you. From home. That's right. It's been a few days though, because yes. it's uh, we last saw you here Thursday night for the Eagles game against the New York Giants, and now here we are Monday night. The Eagle or the Packers are getting ready to take on the San Francisco 49ers. The Eagles are prepping for the Carolina Panthers. The Dallas Cowboys won. The Washington Redskins won. Uh, it's a very interesting time here in this NFC and in the NFC East in particular Uh, but let's talk about that big uh, division matchup last week Eagles Giants and some of our big takeaways we usually start on offense but I kind of want to start on defense today maybe it's just because it's fresh in my mind Uh, I just wrote about it by the time you're listening to this you'll uh, be able to read uh, my defensive film recap from what I saw in the win but uh, overall takeaways first of all before we get into specifics uh, watching this Eagles defense against the, the Giants offense last week my first takeaway, to be honest with you, was the uh, increase in the number of coverage concepts yeah. that we saw from the Eagles in the game. Now, whether that was specific to the Giants and, and a great, great receiver in Odell Beckham or a function of the fact that the Eagles had struggled a bit at times in the secondary through the first five games of the season, I guess I don't know the answer to that. Maybe you do, but clearly they did more in the secondary, and what made it even more impressive was the fact that, number one, they were without Corey Graham. Number two, Sidney Jones got hurt, so they had to move Avanta Maddox uh, to slot corner and then play uh, Rasul Douglas at safety, who had not played safety in an Eagles uniform. Yep. So when when the coverages are more detailed and more multiple, there's more that you have to know and be aware of, and I think that made the performance all the more impressive. But overall... It was clear that there were more coverage concepts that were deployed in this game than in previous weeks. Yeah, I mean, my my initial thought was that it was more a, uh, a fashion of trying to eliminate Odell, Beckham. which could well be the case. Just because it, you know it was such a, I don't want to say it was such a radical change because we have seen a lot of this stuff from the Eagles, just not to this extent, not right, to this right. volume. Um, but I think when you look at it overall. 
I think that a lot of what they were doing was more about taking out. And we'll find we'll find out this week and uh, the and in the weeks to come. But you know, with the amount that they tried to basically put a cloud corner and a cloud safety over Odell Beckham when he lined up outside, uh, I thought it was really interesting. Eagles utilizing a lot of uh, quarter quarter half. Yes, you saw some two man looks to the boundary. You saw some straight up cover two. You saw some cover two invert. We broke that right, down right, uh, right. on the All Twenty Two review. I mean, we saw a wide mix of things, but there was also some cover three. There were some quarters. There was cover one. So. Uh, uh, they mixed in a lot of different things, and I thought it was really interesting just to see uh, the depth in terms of the secondary no and, and the schemes that they worked on the back end. And I end. think the cover six, what you're talking about is quarter, quarter, half, yep. is really interesting because the predominant way that's played, as you know, Fran, is the half side is to the, sh- the short side of the field, to the boundary, because you don't want the half field safety to have as much ground to cover. So normally... That's to the X receiver, the single receiver to the boundary, which Odell Beckham lines up in that spot quite a bit. But it's not the only spot in which he lines up. And the quarter side of the coverage is to the field because the quarter side has a lot of man-to-man elements to it. So it's that's normally to the field, to to the larger, wider side. Yep. And whatever, if that was their goal, if their objective was to go into this game and say. You know, we want to try and contain Odell Beckham. Let's keep him from beating us, and let's focus everything else uh, after that. They held him to six catches, 44 yards. Obviously, that was his worst game of the season. But 7.3 yards per catch, that was his lowest total of any regular season game in his career. There you so go. they did a good job and, and keeping again, him limited. It's funny you say that because no one goes into a game saying we want to back to rush for right. you know 130 yards or to have 230 yards or of, of total offense. But when you think about it, it reminded me, this just popped into my head, of when the Giants won the Super Bowl against the Buffalo Bills years ago when Scott Norwood missed that field goal when the Bills were favored by a ton. Yep. And the whole plan of Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells was basically to say, hey, let them give the ball to Thurman Thomas. We know he'll gain yards, but they're not going to score a lot of points that way. Right. And again, I'm not suggesting they wanted... Saquon Barkley to run 50 yards for a touchdown. No one wants that. Of course. But I think overall that they probably felt that if if we can keep the big explosive pass plays out of their offense, that we're in pretty good shape. To our discussion last week, how many runs of 10-plus do you think uh, Saquon had last week? Of 10-plus? 10 10-plus. 10 Two. It was exactly two. It two. was just those two big ones. It was ones. those two big ones. After that, I, f- I don't have the exact number. I know he had a nine-yarder on that unbelievable uh, run. Which is one of the best we, nine-yarders we'll see. Right, yeah. right. But you're right, yeah. Uh, they, they, for the most part, they kept him in check. You had those two big runs, and they were runs where, look, the one, it, you can't tell if it was Nigel that was late to scrape or if Malcolm should have been there. And then the one, it seemed like Razul Douglas was a little bit late to fill. Um, that was, you know, especially for all the people that just say it's so easy, just take a corner and just throw him throw right, back there. At right, safety. right, right. Everything will just work magically. Um, well, you know, you know a really good back, too. You know, sometimes they beat you one-on-one. Well, I mean, that, d- that does happen. Yes, and I think that was more the case yeah. in that first one for sure. Yeah. Uh, very talented. I mean, he's yeah. he's a freak show. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, defensively, that was one of my big takeaways. And then uh, you look up front, and they, they were able to generate consistent pressure yep. on Eli Manning, which you wanted to see. I thought that what they did on the coverage side uh, helped Eli hold the ball a little bit more, no which let that defensive line uh, eat a little bit. We saw Fletcher Cox dominate. We saw Michael Bennett looked very disruptive. Derek Barnett made, got some hits on the quarterback. You know, I made a note watching the tape, and, and you've talked about him quite a bit this year, but now that you just mentioned it, Derek Barnett, I think, is as is improving. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say he's 
you know, at this point he's a top three pass rusher in the league. Of course. But there's clear incremental improvement in Derek Barnett. And and whatever that means numbers wise, I don't know. Sacks are sacks. Yeah. You know, sometimes they happen, sometimes they don't. Yep. But I think there's clear improvement in his game. Yeah, I think what we one of the things we've seen is he's he's more than just a speed rusher now at this point. He's starting to work in a little bit more. We saw him get that sack on the push-pull against Taylor Lewan a couple weeks ago in right. Tennessee. Uh, we saw him work a, an inside spin move. We've seen him work some different low-side counter-rush moves that, I, we, frankly, we just didn't see in, in games last year. But it's funny. I actually think he's even a little quicker uh, when he's an edge player. Yeah. You know, besides the hands, just the quickness off no the question. edge. No I mean, question. That's, that's clearing yeah. the edge. Yeah. I think he's quicker. That's his strength. No yeah. question. And I think it's uh, it's been a lot of fun just to be able to watch him continue to develop. Is he where he needs to be yet? No. Of course, he's, there's plenty of room uh, there to grow. But he's making plays against the run at the point of attack. Uh, he's still making he's, those he's, pursuit plays. I mean, he's, he's a, a good, good player. player with a chance to be a really good player. Yeah, I would agree with and that. And I think Michael Bennett has really played well the last couple last of weeks. last few weeks, he definitely has stepped yeah. his game up. No question. Yeah. But inside, outside, Shoulder pads, by the way, I, I think they're just like slices of cardboard that yeah. he puts in under his jersey up top. Yeah, uh, it looks pretty good. Um, and then the linebacker, uh, the the play that Jordan Hicks made on the opening drive uh, to create that interception yeah. for Kamu Grugier Hill was uh, outstanding. And when we broke that down on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the part to me that I really hit on when we did the breakdown, and I think is so critical, is when you're playing cover two and you're the middle hole defender. You know, obviously you're taught to turn and get to the middle hole. Of course, but if there's no one there. You know, I think you have to some have some awareness of the route, right? And that's what he did so well. Instead of just turning and getting to the middle hole, he actually understood the route, played the receiver who was theoretically his responsibility in zone, and made and made a great play, made an outstanding play. So, and something that we've come to expect from him at this yep. point because he is a very good coverage player. Yeah. Uh, you know, and we saw all the turnovers that he created a couple of years ago, his full, last fully healthy season. Um, Anything else defensively you want to hit on before we move on? I think uh, we kind of touched on everything. Oh, but. the other thing I wanted to hit on, and it reminded me of watching him back in college, which was now a number of years ago, was the number of snaps that Fletcher Cox played at defensive end. He did have a number there of snaps. There were about snaps. five or six. Did you? There was the one where he ran into Michael Bennett. Up, Bennett like tried yes. to win upfield. Yes. Oh, my, if he see, was not there. <laughs> see, I think Fletcher Cox, quite honestly, yeah. and I know he's so good inside, right, so I'm not suggesting he should become a defensive end right. because he's so dominant inside, but... And I know you watched him when he came out of Mississippi State, but he had significant snaps as as a D end at yeah. Mississippi State. Right. And I thought he could rush the quarterback as as an edge rusher in the NFL. If and I still do. If he hadn't collided with Bennett on that play, if Bennett hadn't gotten right. upfield as quickly as he did, we that would have been that would, that clip would have gone viral because he was going to explode into Eli Manning uh, as you're a right. defensive end off you're the right. edge. Like it was it was a freak show play right <laughs> Oh no, he's but that struck me. I mean, there were five or six snaps in which he lined up essentially is a wide nine defensive end yeah and that was i thought that was really interesting yeah. to see i think um the eagles you know and his snap counts are higher than what we saw a year ago they rotate they yeah. rotated him in much more last year now part of that might be there's no tim jernigan this year and right. they've had some injuries up front so um i thought I think trade hester flashed at times too i was just going to bring him up hester look a lot of eagles fans are like who, they don't know who's, who he is. who's trayvon i hester? watched him when he came out of toledo a few years ago you and i both liked him and you know again when you say you like a guy, you know, people think, oh, you think he's a first round. You know, it's not the point. Well, you thought he was a the second The point round. is, I think, right, exactly, <laughs> right, right. I thought he should have been the 33rd player right, chosen. exactly. I think that I, when I watched him, I felt he could play in the NFL, that he was certainly a rotational player, that he had the kind of quickness that could get him to play in a gap scheme, which is essentially what the Eagles are. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that he has a chance, and who knows what Tim Jernigan 
injury situation is when he's back. Yeah. If he's back, I don't know. Right. Um, but I think Hester's going to continue to get snaps. Yeah, and we're uh, we're actually going to break down Hester on film in our progress report uh, piece with Mike Quick and Ike Reese. We're shooting that tomorrow morning, so keep an eye out for that on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. We'll be using footage both from the last couple of weeks here in Philly and then also in Oakland because uh, he's, he's an intriguing player. He's an intriguing player. He hit the market. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's get to this Eagles offense now because obviously uh, their best outing of the year, and you can really point to a number of different uh, reasons for that, Greg. I mean, they were much better on third down. They were obviously much better in the red zone. Uh, you know, they, they did a lot of different things to help get things going. The run game was better this week. Uh, overall takeaways watching this offense play. You know, it's funny you say that because there were a lot of things. I, I didn't come away thinking that they did a lot of things that we haven't seen. Yeah, I, schematically I just, there were no, changes. I, I yeah. just thought they did it better. Yes. Right. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm being, yep, you know. I know. Again, I I, you know, and, you know, each time, with each passing Eagles game, I'm more and more impressed with Zach Ertz. Mm-hmm. Because Zach Ertz, and, and we've talked about him a number of times, but he just has such a good feel. Because he's certainly not a bad athlete, okay? That's not the point. But, but I don't look at Zach Ertz and think, wow, this guy is an exceptional athlete at the right. tight end position. Sure. I mean, I'm sure you don't either. He's not at that level of athlete. Right. He's a good athlete. Yep. But his feel, his understanding of how to get open versus man, of how to set up defenders in man, how to use his his lower body, his upper body, his head fakes, you know, how to how to beat their leverage is so good. Mm. And then his understanding of how to find the voids and zone is, is sensational. Yeah. And you can tell that Carson Wentz just has tremendous comfort and confidence in throwing him the ball. I remember talking with John Filippo about Zach Ertz last year. We were getting ready to shoot a segment for Eagles game plan. Uh, and he said that Zach Ertz is one of the best that he's ever worked with at the tight end position at attacking leverage as a and route Flip's runner. And has been in the NFL, I think, 15 years. Yeah, and you know, obviously has worked with a lot of talented right. players, yeah. especially at the tight end position, um, and was just really, really impressed with his ability to create separation. And we saw that on his touchdown against Janoris Jenkins. He beats a corner oh. one-on-one in the red zone. And they set that up. Yeah, I mean, they wanted that yeah. matchup. Yeah. And, and they're playing Carolina this week, and if you go back to last year, he caught a touchdown last year when, when he was oh, yeah. the single receiver. It was in a pretty minus nasty split to the, to the right side of the formation, and they got him matched on Michael Adams yeah. for a touch. I'm sure you remember the play. No question. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's a guy that, like you said, the, the trust with Carson Wentz and him, I think, is evident watching them on film. And I would say that trust is really building as well with Alshon Jeffrey. And yeah. those, those two really have been on the same page since he's gotten back into the lineup. Uh, I know he's catching a lar- uh, much more of his passes in terms of his targets uh, this year compared to last year. Uh, those two just continue to be on the same page, whether they're in the middle of the field, whether outside the numbers. I mean, it, they've been really, really dynamic together and obviously was very productive last Thursday night. Absolutely. And, and Jeffrey was so critical to this, to this offense. Again, not a true vertical threat. He's not going to run by people. But you do have somewhat of a vertical dimension because of the back shoulder throw. Yep. And, and again, Carson feels very comfortable throwing him the ball even when he's covered. Yeah, no question. Uh, I thought they did a lot out of the, the two tight end sets this past week, and especially on first down. What I was most impressed with, honestly, you know, they, I think if I remember right, I don't have the numbers in front of me, there were 11 first downs where they came out in 12 personnel. It was six runs, five passes. The passes were a good mix of screens, play yeah. action throws, and straight dropbacks. So Doug Peterson was mixing things up. And I think that w- the development we've seen with Dallas Goddard has allowed him to kind of make this step with the offense because Goddard, 
man, I'll tell you, I've been waiting to kind of bust out some of these run plays where he is just melting defenders at every level of the field. And he's just he's making huge strides at every level of the game. And he made a play on special teams the other night, tackling Odell Beckham on punt coverage. Uh, it's just been really fun to kind of watch the rookie develop. Yeah, I'm just waiting now for him to get really involved in the pass game because I think he can become a really good receiver. Yeah, I mean, we, we've seen, like, the flashes, right? Right, I mean, right, we've seen, right. Uh, you know, that quickness. Once, he transitions so quickly into a, uh, to a runner after the catch. Yeah. And, and, you know, his size, his physicality, um, I think he can be, in theory. And they took a shot Zach a week Ertz ago is. with him, at, you know, when he was ex-ISO yeah, in the end zone. Atlanta, and, yep. Yeah, yeah, and I think I'd like to see them do more of that, and I'm yeah. sure they will. Yeah, I agree. And then you see Corey Clement come back into the fold. A little like bit of Corey a pitch Clement. count. Yep, but uh, you saw him you yep. know, run hard at times. Wendell Smallwood continues to run hard. Uh, so it was, it, it was good to kind of see. It felt like last year's offense right, watching right, them this right. week, right? Like it, it felt like it, even just watching the game live on Thursday, you kind of had that that feel, that energy to it, which was which is certainly good to see. You know, and I think Carson's throwing the ball really well. You know, I think that it's coming out of his hand. I mean, I don't want to say his, his arm's stronger, but it's really coming out of his hand cleanly. We haven't had a game, what's it, it's been four games now. We haven't had a game where we're saying, man, like he just he just wasn't good today. No. Like he's looked he's looked sharp. He's looked weeks. sharp. Yeah. So then the numbers I think bear that out as well. Um, all right, well, let's talk about the team that they're going to face this Sunday because uh, this matchup with the Carolina Panthers, remember last year that one went down to the wire. Uh, these are two good teams. The Panthers present uh, a lot of issues, especially on offense. This offense is one of my favorites to break down uh, in the NFL. You know, it, It's not traditional in terms of what they do, especially in the passing game and all that, but all the layers to this run yes. game, it makes it a lot of fun to study. It's funny you say that because – I wouldn't call them a consistent week-to-week offense, but it's a very difficult offense to prepare for. No question. And last year it was a short week. Remember they played right. Thursday they night played football. they played Thursday night. This, week, this year they get them on a long week. Right. So I'm interested to see the difference there. They did get gashed a couple times in the, in the right. run game last year. Um, so you wonder if some of that will be fixed for this season. But, you know, the, with all the layers – and one of the, this is one of the things I love most about – and this is just good offensive football regardless of how you play – they do what they do well, and they complement what they do well at a high level. Yes. So they'll make they, 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 the triple yes. option stuff, for, to take yes. that as an example. You may, it may look like triple option to you, but it may be uh, counter. It could be QB power right, read. It right. could be any of a number of different things they're running. It could be a screen. It could be a shot play, yep. play action. They do a lot of different things where the backfield actions all look the same, but they could be any of another number of dozen different options here uh, for Cam Newton. There's a the ton football. of mystery direction and deception elements to their offense even though what ends up being the play is a basic play yeah and that's that's good football yeah the 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 saying is is that make what you're doing look complicated Complicated. but it's simple for you correct and and that's really what it comes down to you you create the illusion of of complexity one the one thing that they're doing more of this year it seems and tell me if i'm wrong is there's a little bit more with jet sweeps this year, and in terms of trying it's to stretch things out, but that's right. everybody now. Everybody's, everybody's doing everybody's trying to because that, that that's gives you the misdirection, deception element. It impacts second level defenders, particularly you know, and and if they can get Curtis Samuel did not play on offense this, this week. week. No, no, but you have Curtis Samuel, Samuel. DJ Moore, yeah. Torrey Smith. Yeah. They're the the jet guys, and that's and yeah. You have McCaffrey in there as well because Curtis Samuel to me would be the ideal jet motion guy. I'll tell you what, that game against the Giants a couple weeks ago. He had a good. He had a really good game. Oh yeah, that, 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 touch, that touchdown catch on the screen uh, was was something. Is he hurt? To, I think he was hurt. Yeah, because that screen was vintage Curtis Samuel. I mean, that's what yeah. that's what you wanted to look when right. you draft him in the third round. That's what you're hoping for. Exactly. So when you have all these different jet actions, you know, and really the the object. And tell me if you correct me if I'm wrong. 
The object is to try and stress the defense horizontally. You're Correct. trying to create passing lanes or running lanes uh, for wherever well, the ball is going to be going. It, it always brings me back to the Rams offense, and they do it the best in football, but everybody's trying to do it now with jet, jet sweep action, with outside zone run action. You're trying to stretch the, the defense horizontally, and then you create a lot of voids in the middle of the field. Yeah. And that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, had a pass to DJ Moore over the middle of this pass. Yeah, that was Washington. a great example of that. It was that's, about an 18 or 19 yarder. Yep, that's a money Terrific yep. example. You you see the Rams do that kind of thing all the time. Yep. And really it it really is it's the same aspect we how how often do we see the shovel pass work in Philadelphia here under Andy Reid? Right. It's the same idea. You're trying to stress those guys make the the edge defenders work uh, towards the sideline, and then just gash them and up the middle. now we see it in Chicago. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right. All, the, all the same right, stuff. Right, right. But, no, you, you talk about their run game, and there's multiple – you use the term layers. I, I say concepts, same yep. thing. Yep. There's just multiple concepts that you you see as a defender. If, you, if you're a linebacker, if you're Jordan Hicks or, or Nigel Bradham this week, you're going to see a lot of things going on in the backfield, and you're going to have to try to decipher what what the play ultimately becomes. Yep. Because when when Cam Newton sticks the ball at the at what we call the mesh point in the back's belly, you don't know if he's handing it to him. You don't know if there's going to be a speed option element. You know, you don't know what what the play is going to be at that point. Yeah, and that's difficult. No question. I'm planning on on doing a a, a piece on that this week and just what they're able to do uh, with him in the backfield because look. Cam Newton, for all of his flaws, and we we know he is a, he is a flawed quarterback in terms of the you know the traditional sense of playing right, the position. Right. He's not the best passer. He, he did not have a good game uh, this past he week. He still remains Washington. a little scattershot. He no may question. be that his whole career. He's going to miss those throws. Right. The, I mean, arguably, said, he missed the win, uh, the winning throw at the end with McCaffrey. Yeah. When they set that oh, up beautifully, no the stutter go against Nicholson, the safety. It was a great play. To it, it was great play. It was empty, yep. and they got what they wanted, and and McCaffrey won. You got to make that throw. Yeah, yeah, but then he's also capable of making throws that maybe four humans on the planet can make as well. No question. Where you go, wow! He <laughs> just made that throw. <laughs> I remember leading into the game last year, there were some throws. I forget who they played leading into the game last year, but there were throws that broke down. I'm saying, there's two or three guys that can yeah, make that. You throw probably saw it if you went through their games this year. Uh, I forget who the opponent was, but he threw a, um, a far hash deep comeback throw to Funchess. Um, it, it was might three have been or four the, weeks it ago. It might have been the Atlanta game. Might have, it was either Atlanta or Dallas. It was ridiculous. Yeah, I yes. think it was Atlanta, actually. Yeah. It was ridiculous. I mean, it was, you know, it's one of those throws. Not many guys are making that throw. Yeah, no question. And the, one, of the, one of the throws that he does make at a pretty high level, and I feel like he's – we've watched Carolina the a dig? lot. The dig. The backside <laughs> dig. He throws that as well. <laughs> he you throws know, that, that really that's well. His, that's that, his favorite that's throw. That's his throw, the dig. And yeah. it's funny because they'll run three-man concepts, yeah. and usually with a dig, like on the backside, that's – a. That's yeah. you know you're working He's a really to good that. dig thrower. There are times where he's just saying you know screw the three man progression. Right. I'm, I'm throwing the I'm throwing, I'm throwing, the, throwing dig. the dig. Yeah, because they have these big pass catchers. Whether it was Kelvin Benjamin or Funchess now, right? Um, and DJ know, Moore's not a little guy. No, those guys yeah. will go up and get it, and they, yeah. you know you give him those big targets. Yeah. That's a that's a big strike zone for him. That's correct. Um, you know and those guys can go up and get it in those contested situations. So um, you know the pass game is it's very interesting. Obviously, it all starts though you know with this run game. We talk about it schematically. But let's talk about it from a personnel standpoint because uh, Christian McCaffrey is now in his second year. Yep. I'm going to read through all my notes on him later in the show, and I'll get my feelings out there in terms of how I feel about the pick and how he fits with this offense. But I want to ask you, they spent a top-10 pick on Christian McCaffrey. Right. He averages 21 touches a, a, a game, over five yards a touch. I feel like that's pretty good bang for your buck. 
in terms from a football Absolutely. standpoint. Like you look at Christian McCaffrey now, like how do you view him in a in a world view looking at the running back position in the league right now compared to others? That's a loaded well, question. Well, yeah, that's a loaded question, and the sample size is too small of course. because they've had some games this year. I mean, I thought – I know they got down 14 nothing this week, and yeah, they probably yeah, felt like they're – seven carries. Yeah, yeah. Um, you could make the point, though, that they kind of got away from the run yes. this week. Uh, but, you know, I think that the question is, can Christian McCaffrey – he's had 21 touches – that there's a couple there that skew that because he had 28 carries in Against one game Cincinnati, and yep. 14 catches in another game. Yep. Now I don't think you want him to have 14 catches every week. To me, that means your pass game isn't working the way it should be. Right. Yep. Especially when he had 14 for 80 or something like yeah, that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think could Christian McCaffrey, to my way of thinking, carry the ball 15 times a, a game and have six catches? Yes. Yep. And I think that would be really good. Yep. And yeah. I think you'd be happy with that. Yeah. I mean, to me. He, they say he's 205 pounds now. We, we've both seen him in person. i probably a little more up close than you when I was on the field at the Combine, and he's certainly put together. But there's no more room on his body for weight. He's I not mean, getting a 230. He's not getting a yeah. 220 or 225. Right. Yeah. So even though he's built really well, he's still 205 pounds. Yep. So, I, you know, I don't know. And he's essentially an inside runner. He's essentially a contact runner. Right, yes. So and he's good at it. I mean, we're not saying he's not good at it. He's got a great feel in traffic, no question. Yeah, but he gets you know I, I noticed this in the preseason. He he gets tackled hard, as smaller guys tend to do. And so I don't know if he's a you know I don't know if he's Zeke or or, or Todd Gurley. I, you know I don't think he's he's that guy. And you know what a smart guy once told me is that with smaller ball carriers, is that. Not only do you have the contact of person on person, but then there is also the contact the of hitting to the ground. Correct. So Correct. It's two hits in one. Well, that's also that's also the issue with quarterbacks who no, run a lot. No question. People just think, oh, they get hit, but then when a three hundred pound guy falls on them, I imagine that doesn't feel great either. No. Uh, and then just looking through the numbers of this offense, I mean, um, passing game numbers are the rankings. Obviously, are not very good. They're bottom third in yards of attempt, right, yards right. per catch, all that stuff. Um, but red zone. His quarter, Cam Newton's quarterback rating is best in the league. Uh, the red zone is in the top half of the league. And I think a lot of that comes from the fact, one, the concepts are pretty good. They do a lot of different crossing well, concepts. And well, that's where like the that. run game element comes in. No question. And that opens And, up and the run game element, it's a fascinating discussion, which there's been a lot written about it. And, and there's probably many sides to this conversation. But with someone like Cam Newton and, and other quarterbacks, but he's the, the biggest freak of all at 6'5", 255, is how do you factor in his running ability into what he is as a quarterback. Because there's no question he's not a precision passer, and he's not likely to become one tomorrow. Yep. So he's not that kind of quarterback. You know, he's not, he's not going to become Drew Brees. So how do you then factor in the running part of his game into a discussion of what he is as a quarterback? Sure. So it's, it's, it's a hard question to answer. Let me ask you one more question about the offense. Has it been what you expected with the change in offensive coordinator with Norv Turner coming in? At times, I feel like I see a lot of Norv, and at other times, I feel like I'm seeing what they did in the past right. couple of years. It's not so. It's not radically different. I feel like no. I, I don't feel like it's radically different. No, yeah, that's, that was a little bit surprising. And you know, but keep one thing in mind: we don't know this because we're not there, of course, and we're not going to get Norv with truth serum. But maybe he's seen what Cam Newton can do and can't do and realizes, hey, this is what he really does best and this is what we'll play to. Yep, 
it's, it's coaching. Right. Uh, let's go to the defense because they they also have a new defensive coordinator there. Eric Washington. Uh, Eric but he's Washington. Been there. Yep, no question. Um, just overall uh, elevator speech real quick before we get started on the on this defense. What, what are your overall uh, takeaways watching this group on film? Solid group. I think they they tend to be erratic, but I think they've got some really good players at all three levels that need to be accounted for. And can they can be really good on any given Sunday, but I think there's an inconsistency to their play. Yeah, I think you, you look at Kawan Short and Luke Keekley, those are the two guys to me. Keekley's like. the best. He's Keekley's so good, it's ridiculous. Player. Yeah, Keekley's a great player. I mean, every time I watch their tape, and he makes plays, it's not just the tackles. You know, he makes plays in coverage with his understanding of routes and angles that is, it's just remarkable. Yeah, I. He made a play this week. Alex Smith ended up having pressure and throwing it in the dirt to a shorter receiver. But he read the dagger concept. I don't know if you remember this play. Yeah. And and as soon as the nine route ran by him yeah. to his outside, his head immediately turned and he ran right to the dig. Now, the ball wasn't thrown there. Right. But he knew instantly what was happening. I've seen my my favorite Luke Keekley play like in in history the is, was against the, the interception against the Cowboys oh, off yeah, that yeah, same yeah. concept a yeah. couple years ago. It's oh, ridiculous! It's ridiculous. He's yeah. he's one of the best in the league. Yep. Um, you know, and Quan Short is so explosive. That first step and his ability to disrupt the line of scrimmage and, and you know make and really change the line of scrimmage. It's funny you say that. Sets him apart. Dave Gettleman taught me something years ago when Quan Short came out, and I was talking to Dave. And I said, boy, you know, I watched Kwan Short at Purdue, and boy, I felt like his competitiveness wasn't what you yep. I wanted it to be. And he said, let me explain something to you. And, and it was great, you know, because you're always trying to learn. You've taught me this, and I take it with me, too. This is yeah, good, yeah. This is good stuff. He said, you can't judge college players when they have to play 85 snaps yep. a game against spread offenses. He said, 325-pound guys are not going to play 85 snaps a game at the highest level possible. It's just not yep. humanly possible. He said, in the NFL, he'll play 40 snaps a game, and he'll be a great player. And he's and turned into that. He's turned into that. It's, uh, and I, it's something I, I actually talked with Chris Wilson about that, very, the Eagles defensive line coach, about that topic um, with Kawan Short as an example a few weeks ago on the Journey to the Draft podcast. With that in mind is that you know, these guys they, you know, at college, especially in college, you know, where they're, they're playing 100 snaps uh, right. know, in a college game, and those guys are playing 80 and, and there's the no huddle. There's no, yeah, yeah, there's no huddle. Are, yeah. So, yeah, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> they're not, not going to be going uh, 100, 100 miles an hour on yeah. every single snap. But uh, it's certainly one of the lessons I've learned yep. you know, from that because I was, down, no, I've learned. I was down on him for that reason. Me too. Um, I loved his talent, but I said, gee, I'm not sure if he's competitive. Yep, sure. And so you look at Quan Short, uh, I think that he and Keekley are kind of the backbones of that defense. And then, you know, looking around after that. I think James Radbury's a solid That's corner. who I was just going to bring yeah, up. He's a he's, very he's solid He's developed a nice corner. player. Yeah. He, he was a small school guy. He was from Samford. Yep. Uh, I remember him at the senior ball. Uh, Good know, size. Big kid, long. He's yeah. competitive. Uh, instinctive. Yep. Plays the ball well. And, I mean, he's um, a good corner. At times they travel him. Yep. Not always. My guess is he'll. I wonder I how much he'll, he'll match be up on, on Jeffrey because I think that's a good matchup. Yeah, I agree. He's got he's physical. He's long. I think that's a good matchup. Yeah, I agree. And then they get Thomas Davis back this week. No, he played this past week. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, they, yeah, got, yeah. Like, they got him back this week against. And he Washington. was right back playing in the nickel. Yeah, he made a pass break up down I the know. field. He made a couple of tackles moving forward. He's the had a great career. Yeah, he has yeah, yeah. former former college safety. Yep. Um, Julius Peppers is still going. It's it's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, yeah. the, the he ex, like he almost killed Alex Smith yesterday. Yes, on that one play. Like oh, I, I remember yeah, the play. Uh, he yeah. was a stunt. Yeah, yeah. And they they do a lot of when this he came stuff. underneath. Yeah, yeah. They do yeah. a lot of that where we and Ben Fennel were going back and forth about this whether or not we thought it was like a called stunt or if the guys are just playing off it where you know Kwan Short or you know whoever it is that's lined up inside. 
just explodes upfield, and they're not trying to pin the the tackle no, or anything. No. But the D the D tackle just explodes upfield, and the DN just basically just plays right off of right. it, just goes. Right. Um, and we see that often. That's what happened on that play. Peppers just, I mean, he almost killed Alex. Oh, Peppers. I know. And and now of course they signed Eric Reed at safety. Yep. So they've got, and he's essentially playing single high. He has some snaps where he's down yep. low. Mike Adams tends to be their tight end matchup. So yes. Now, they don't play a ton of man, right. but everybody does play man. Yep. So he tends to be their tight end matchup. The question is, because Eric Reed does have athleticism, could they put him on, on Ertz instead of Michael Adams when they right. do play man? Rashawn Golden, is, they'll mix him in a couple series yeah, in there Yeah, a as couple well. series, usually in the second quarter. Yeah, rookie, I want to say second-round pick out, out of Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. he was a, I know you uh, liked him. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, was a, he played mostly slot corner for Tennessee, but he's not going to play slot corner full-time at that size. Um, I thought and a I team would look at him as a big nickel. was what it should be to play corner. Yeah, and, yeah. That, was the, and that was the big question. Yeah. Um, but an instinctive kid, a competitive yeah. kid, and, and so they're working him in at safety. Yeah. I'm not surprised that they felt, you know what, we should go sign Reed midseason because right. maybe Gall is not ready to play full-time there, um, but they are mixing him in. They're making an effort, you yeah, can tell, to get yeah. him snaps. Um, yeah, I think that pretty much kind of sums it up with this team. It'll be, it's going to be a fun game. because look, It's the, an important game. And, it is and you know, I, look, I'm not one of those people that thinks, oh, you know, this team wants it more than the other. You know, hey, it's the NFL. I you think, are a hot take guy, though. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I think that, you know, both teams are going to give 100% and not leave anything in the locker room. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Don't you agree? That might be the case. I hope that's the case. It'll be a good game. I'm excited to watch the matchup. We'll watch it here uh, on Sunday at the NovaCare Complex. We'll be breaking down uh, stuff throughout the course of the game. So if you're you know watching at home, you can go and you can uh, go on PhiladelphiaEagles.com on, the, on your desktop or on your mobile app and check out some of the breakdowns. As Greg and I are watching the game and we're doing these breakdowns, we're posting them to the website. So you can go and you can check them out in-game, watch them during a commercial uh, You know, while the commentators are talking about something that doesn't matter. You can go and watch us for a couple of minutes and find out some stuff about a play. Uh, don't have to wait until Monday no. morning or until Monday night. So, uh, Greg, looking forward to watching it with you. We will, uh, we'll talk to you next week. All right. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow him just like I do on Twitter, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at FDuffy3. That's where I post all of the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on social media. That is one way to support the show, but the other is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. We got a great question from Ben Jammin 1221 who asked about Jim Schwartz's scheme. Greg and I have mentioned in the past how he's not a high-volume blitzer and how the corners will give that cushion and off coverage. So Ben's question is, in situations where Schwartz does dial up the blitz, should the corners close that cushion and disrupt routes at the line of scrimmage to give the extra rush a chance to get home? Maybe they disrupt that timing in those 10-yard outs and comebacks that they've been beaten on in the past. He, he says that he knows it's not that simple, but it seems that the front end and the back end of the Eagles defense aren't always married. Appreciate all the content you put out, and thanks, Ben. That's a great question. The way I look at it is this when it comes to off coverage versus press coverage. There are positives and negatives of both. In off coverage, you're able to read better read the quarterback and maintain that vision throughout the down. So that's big if you're more of a zone team. You're able to read things as they happen in front of you, and in theory, you can prevent those big plays at the top. If you're a press coverage team, yeah, you can disrupt at the line of scrimmage and you can impact the timing of routes, but people have to remember as well, if you get beat early in press coverage, the threat of the big play is there and probably to a greater extent. I think fans assume that all the big plays allowed by this defense uh, is because the corners are playing off coverage, but just simply, that's that's not the case. I'm not saying you're saying that, Ben, but that's not the case. Is when you know when you're pressed, 
unless you get a perfect jam on the receiver, you are very prone to working at a disadvantage very quickly. We talk all the time about the difference between between being in phase and being out of phase as a corner. You're out of phase, meaning your backs to the ball, more often when you are in press. It's just going to happen more often. You're, you're even with the, defense, with the receiver immediately at the snap. So are there advantages to it? Of course. But there are disadvantages to it as well. So I'm glad, Ben, that you asked this because – you know, let's take, for example, the situation that Ben's bringing up. Some teams, when they're blitzing, they will tell all their guys to go up to the line of scrimmage and press. Let's say it's a five-man pressure. Okay, So you have five guys going after the quarterback. You've got five people in man coverage, and you've got one free safety. That's 11 defenders. So you've got one safety in the deep middle over the top just in case of a disaster and you can help with a big play. So go ahead. Guys on the outside, go press. Go play at the line of scrimmage. The Eagles do this plenty. You know, the, the big play they gave up to Corey Davis earlier, that early third down on the double move, that was press coverage. Uh, a couple of the, the big plays they gave up against the Vikings came in press coverage, especially early in the game. The Eagles do that plenty. However, when teams go cover zero, all right, so six-man pressure, no safety over the top. It's just five guys in man coverage, everybody else going after the quarterback. Do you see teams go into press mode? No. Why? Because there's a threat that you can get beat deep and a greater threat that you can beat deep with no reward factor from the safety being over the top. So you'll see often when it's cover zero, everybody's backed up and off coverage and they're able to read the quarterback through the man, expect that quick throw. And that's the key point. That's the counterpoint to playing off coverage in blitz situations is that you're expecting the ball to come out quickly due to early pressure. So you're more likely to try and get an interception as opposed to if you're in press and your back's to the football and you're just trying to find the ball late and down and hopefully try and make a play on it, that's a bit of a roundabout way, I guess, that I'm trying to answer this question, Ben, is from a blitz standpoint, yeah, if you're in, if you're in press, it's a quick throw. You may you know try and disrupt the timing. Maybe you help force a sack. But if you're in off, the ball's coming out quickly, and you're able to see that throw. Now, at the very least, you're hoping you can get the ball on the ground. At very best, you're looking at a at a pick or maybe even a pick six. So you know, I think that look, there's there's pluses and minuses to everything, and I guess that's really uh, you know the big thing. The moral of the story, I would say, is, and I'll say this until I'm blue in the face: there is no perfect coverage to play in football. Press coverage does not have all the answers. Off coverage does not have all the answers. Cover one, man coverage, it's got holes. Cover two, cover three, cover four, they all have holes, just like they all have strengths. So on every play in football, every single time a quarterback drops back to pass, there is potential for a huge play going either way for the offense or the defense. The goal, obviously, is to limit those big plays defensively, and that's Jim Schwartz's primary goal at the end of the day. Keep points off the board and limit the big plays that give opponents opportunities to get those points. Now, are the Eagles' corners constantly playing with great technique right now? They, I thought they had a really good game the other night. Uh, obviously, it was their, probably their best game of the year. But over the course of the season, no, the technique has not been great. They, they have not been assignment sound and for a number of reasons. Maybe it's guys biting on double moves from off coverage. Maybe it's guys getting beat and pressed man-to-man. Maybe it's the safety not being where he's supposed to be or a corner not be providing help where he's supposed to provide help. Maybe it's not linebackers buzzing underneath those underneath throws, those uh, 10-yard outs and comebacks that Ben had mentioned earlier in the question. You know, the, the, Some of those throws, that's not on the corner. If you're in cover three, it's not just the three defensive backs. It's the four underneath defenders as well, seven guys in coverage total. So all of those plays, they, you get, you're going to need better technique when you go up against some of these better teams in the NFL. When you're going up against the L.A. Rams and the New Orleans Saints and the Green Bay Packers and all these great passing games in the NFC, you're going to need to be able to be playing at a high level in the secondary. 
I thought the Eagles made a big step in the right direction for all the reasons that we talked about earlier with Greg. So, uh, Ben, hopefully that answered your question. Shout out to Ben Jammin again, 1221, uh, and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All right, let's keep the show going. Earlier I told you we would dive into my notes on Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey coming out of Stanford back in 2017. He is the subject this week in our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, so Christian McCaffrey, 5'11 and a quarter, 202 pounds. And Greg mentioned earlier, uh, he's up to about 210 now. This kid coming out was just over 200. Two-time first-team All-Pac-12 player. He was a second-team All-American in his final season with the Stanford Cardinal. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist the year before that as a sophomore. This kid was ridiculous. I mean, he set the all-purpose yardage record in a single season. He racked up over 3,800 yards in one year. Just insane. Um, obviously, he had that lineage as well. You know, he came from an extremely athletic family on both sides. His dad, Ed, uh, was a really good receiver on those Denver Broncos Super Bowl teams back in the 90s. I really liked Ed McCaffrey when I was a kid. Uh, he's a great kid, and, and that certainly helped people set a really strong floor for him in the NFL with his talent. Now, uh, on film, I'm talking about a guy who was a two-year starter for David Shaw. It's a pro-style offense, so you saw him line up in both one- and two-back sets. ton of experience running in gap schemes with a fullback. Uh, he spent a lot of time in the slot as a receiver uh, and at times as a wildcat as well. Um, Above-average height, slighter frame, shorter arms, uh, so definitely undersized. A patient, decisive runner both out in space and between the tackles. Had a knack for setting up his blocks to find a crease. Very few negative runs on tape, and he never got caught dancing in the backfield. He was always square to the line of scrimmage and he ran hard for a smaller back he had really good quickness and lateral agility very good athlete for the position very smooth and easy mover with the ball in his hands he had the burst to separate in a short area and the speed to pull away in the open field he's got a natural feel out in space for making defenders miss he used that stiff arm well he does what he could to stay alive with the ball in his hands I remember when we talk about his versatility Leaving his workout in Indianapolis at the Combine, I was talking with a wide receiver coach, and he was with the AFC, an AFC team at the time, and he told me, Fran, that kid might be the best receiver in the draft if, it weren't, if he weren't already one of the best running backs. Like, he was that good in his workouts catching the football. And on film, he was a mismatch problem for defenders in the slot because of his separation quickness, his route running skills. He was lethal on those Texas routes out of the backfield. He was more than just a, a screen guy. He had really soft hands, just looked really natural at the catch point. I mentioned his, his vision out in space. So you got him the football, whether it was as a runner or as a, as a receiver, he was a big play waiting to happen. He only fumbled one time in 12 college games that I uh, studied uh, and he didn't lose any of them good ball security he had you know just a really good player great returner as well special teams value the biggest question with Christian McCaffrey coming out was whether he was big enough to handle being a feature back in the league. You know, he's not a powerful runner. He's not going to run through tackles the next level. I still wanted to see him run through more arm tackles at the college level. And his lack of play strength did show up at times in pass protection as well, where, you know, he was smart. He was assignment sound. He was willing, but he could get overwhelmed at times, even when he did play with good technique. So, um, you know, he was a certain type of runner, as I finished my summary, uh, because you're not going to give him. 25 runs a game every single week in the NFL. This is what I wrote a couple years ago. But he can be a great weapon uh, for a creative offensive mind and a feature back in a pass-first type of offense. I love his quickness, burst, and vision. He brings special teams value right away. As a role player, he can line up anywhere anywhere on offense. He has a very high floor. I really want him on my team. That was what I wrote uh, back in 2017. Now, Let's just start with that last bit, and that's the projection, because ultimately that's the most important part of this entire deal, uh, and with McCaffrey in particular, because everyone with eyes 
could watch McCaffrey at Stanford and say, you know what, this guy can play football. That was easy. He was easily one of the top 10 or 15 football players in that draft. It wasn't close. I wrote down that he's a certain kind of runner, and we talked about it with earlier, earlier with Greg. You're not going to run him 25 times a game every week in the NFL. So far, you know, that does seem to be true, though. He has put on more weight, and he looks a little bit bigger on, on film now than his college days, as most guys do. They got down early against Washington this week, and he had 15 offensive touches, eight, eight carries, seven catches. Week before, he had 22 touches, 17 rushes, five, carry, or five catches. Week before that against the Bengals, he had 28 carries, the highest of his career, 6.6 yards per carry, the highest in-game number this season with two catches tacked onto that. So he had 30 touches overall in that game against Cincinnati. Week before that, he had 22 touches. So after being kind of a rotational player and a chess piece weapon last year, he's turned into a primary option in that offense. He touches the ball exactly 21 times a game with 71 carries and 34 catches through five games. I think the question becomes, you know, was he worth it? You know, was he worth what was he the seventh or eighth pick in the draft? Now there are all kinds of other factors at play here with the running back position as a whole: long-term value, contracts for first-round picks at the position, durability. I get all of that. I am. I'm, perfectly cognizant of all that and the continued argument with a guy like Saquon Barkley as well and that's why I wanted to talk about McCaffrey because we just played a game against Saquon Barkley arguably uh, one of the top two or three running backs right now in the position as a rookie he's just a ridiculous player uh, and what he can do all those factors are in the picture for me and I can't dispute that but just for the sake of this conversation let's just talk about the football side of it right now I think if you take a guy in the top 10 and he touches the ball 20-plus times a game for you and he's going to average 5.5 yards per touch doing it, which is what McCaffrey's doing, playing in an offense that wants to, and honestly, they kind of they need to be run game focused, I think you can make the argument that he was definitely worth it. Hey, you know, I watch McCaffrey now and I see a lot of the same player I saw at Stanford. He's got good vision. He's so decisive downhill. He knows when it's time to be patient or whether it's time to just go and hit that hole downhill. He's so versatile as a receiver. He's great in space. He's a three-down player for them. Again, I understand the other side of it with the money, the long-term value, the running back position. I get it. But from a strict football sense, I think you could say that he was a good pick and that they're leveraging him the best way possible. He's really a fun player to watch. He's certainly a guy that the Eagles have to be ready for on Sunday for all the reasons we talked about earlier with Greg. Uh, There's a lot of layers to this offense, and he is a huge part of what they do. So great stuff this week from Greg Cosell and all of you out there listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, Google Play, and, of course, on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. Thank you again one more time. Take a few seconds. Go rate the show. Leave us a comment. Don't be afraid to leave a question on there as well because I would love the ability to answer it here on the podcast. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.